Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsberg. Creativity, autonomy, localism, and customization are just a few of the dominant trends of the 21st century. So it should come as no surprise that we're seeing a rise of 3D printing. Something that really encapsulates all of those trends. Creativity, autonomy, the ability to be able to print whatever you like when you want to. Localism, not having to go to the Walmart down the road to get that little good, that part. You can now print it at home. And customization. I went to a local teen center, Chops, a few weeks back and saw youth printing these small chess pieces and some small toys. And, as you might be aware, there's been some incredible human interest stories about people designing and printing prosthetics for their disabled children. And as more and more maker spaces, teen centers, science clubs are getting hold of these relatively inexpensive home-based custom manufacturing machines, we're seeing more and more creative and impactful applications of these small devices. But these small tools, trinkets, and toys being printed have their limitations due to the size of the printers. But that's changing. In this episode, I sit down with Samantha Snabes, founder of Re3D. Re3D is a company that is taking a socially responsible approach to the development and deployment of industrial-sized 3D printers. But don't take my word for it. Without further ado, here's episode 21 of the Onward podcast with Re3D's Samantha Snaves. Thank you so much for joining today, Samantha. Really appreciate your time. Um, and this topic is just so filled with potential. And as I was doing my research, a lot of misunderstanding and fear. So I'm really thrilled to have you on to help my, my audience and myself explore this emerging field of 3D printing. So to, to get us rolling, can you tell us about how you came to this field, how you became excited about the world of 3D printing? Uh, sure. So um, I've actually um, known about 3D printing um, for a while. Um, uh, 3D printers have, have been around now for over 30 years. Um, so I had the opportunity and, and um, during my first venture and when I was at NASA to see these really big industrial machines doing some really cool stuff. Um, but, you know, they were really expensive and really large. So um, I wasn't allowed to use them very often. And <laughs> um, usually when you, when you had a 3D print done, you have to actually run the machine. But um, in parallel, there was in 2000, around 2007 to uh, really like 2009, there was a movement to, um, uh, for makers to get together and to share open source designs of, of uh, larger 3D printers. And my teammate, Matthew, who I'd met working at NASA Johnson Space Center in Space Life Sciences, 
was really geeking out on this on the side. Um, in parallel, in addition to working together at the Space Center, we were also volunteering with each other at Engineers Without Borders, NASA Johnson Space Center, and traveling around the world. And he's a farmer from Iowa, and um, I grew up in Detroit and worked in a factory, and we just are really committed to um, seeing people solve their own problems and saw 3D printing and these open source 3D printers as maybe one way to enable that. But we went to go find an affordable printer that was big enough that you could make something you could use. Uh, there, there just wasn't one. Um, so it didn't take too long for us to combine, you know, our background and passion around 3D um, printing professionally and, and, you know, in the open source movement to try and find that middle ground um, to help our friends. And so, so it sounds like most of the 3D printers that we have access to in our, our maker spaces and different communities, they're pretty small scale objects that are coming out mm -hmm. of them. But the, the machine that you and your team currently have is what, the Gigabot? And it's this industrial scale yep. 3D printer. So what sort of products do you, are you seeing your, your customers building with these? Your customers are um, really pioneers. They um, sometimes are making something with our style of 3D printing for the first time um, using using that uh, format. But they're in that now, and they're they're in 56 countries and uh, multiple different markets. Um, but we've seen uh, researchers use a 3D print to cure a form of cancer on a dog to um, making pieces of furniture and the things that you might expect or making a really big starship enterprise <laughs> uh, but uh, more often we see people making things that they're going to use they're either um, fixtures and jigs or research aids or um, actual components that you know bear a load and are functional um, but it really just depends on, on the individual and what problem they're trying to solve. What are some of the, the exciting social societal problems that you're seeing th these large scale printers being implemented to solve? Yeah, and uh, you know, I, again, it kind of depends on the user and the geography, but I would say that um, more abstractly, it has the potential and what we, what we see is the ability to enable what we call um, on-site fabrication or on-demand manufacturing. So they're able to, to make things um, real time. And that can be super helpful in a situation where say your supply chain is either really long or expensive or tightly controlled. Um, so for example, if you know, you're on an oil rig in the middle of the ocean. It's not so easy to, to get things real time. Mm. Um, or if, you know, you were in, say, a, a remote camp away from, you know, a supply line. So um, what I think is really interesting about 3D printing is n not so much just what people make, but the way that they're able to um, shorten that supply chain. And it can be sometimes really empowering. Um, you know, the, the reason that we ultimately got into 3D printing was not just because, you know, we really liked printers. We just kind of saw it as a path to 
um, allow more individuals to be more independent. And, you know, at, at the time we were obviously thinking of groups that we had been working with overseas, but um, I have friends that are educators in, in Detroit, Michigan, and they don't have all the school supplies that they need and they're, you know, buying them out of their own paycheck. And now they have this um, opportunity to, you know, allow students to become entrepreneurs early and, and to bring um, those teaching aids closer to home. So I think, you know, the need is really everywhere. And one of the things that I was excited about your your printer, you know, that it's industrial scale, is the potential to get into the larger scale fabrication, say around housing, which is a major issue in every city in the U.S. right now. So, are are we seeing these uh, large scale three D printers being applied to actual home development at this point, or is that too too industrial scale? You know, what's tricky right now is um, the technology and the materials are, are evolving, but, um, you know, I would say not just in housing, but in a lot of verticals, um, you know, healthcare is another one. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, for there to be wide-scale adoption, the standards have to change the way that things are rated and approved and uh, managed and, you know, certified, and that is a cultural shift in addition to, you know, requiring sometimes like change in legislation. Um, we are, there's definitely progress being made in, in the affordable housing segment. There's a, a couple companies in the U.S. that we've met that are doing really rad stuff. And one, one actually close to us in Austin. Um, and I think they got the first building permit in the States. Um, but yeah, they, we're, still, we're still waiting for, for that cover. Um, station to mature and you know another one is um, you know thinking about like cast we've met a lot of people around the world who are exploring a better alternative to the traditional cast which is just really archaic when you think about it <clears throat> but in order you know to really adapt it the standards have to change that that allow healthcare professionals to to use them widely and then there has to be this whole ecosystem around solutions and training to make sure that it's unsafely. So, um, you know, and housing is still early on, but it's, it's definitely a conversation that's, that's out there and there are startups working on it and um, who are making great strides. You're, you're deep in the field. You've been uh, involved for a long time. So it'd be interesting to hear you kind of future trip on this for a moment about, do, do you think that this has the opportunity to really change industry as a whole? Or is this going to remain an like awesome cottage industry? Um, we, we're definitely seeing huge, huge industry changes, and um, there's some analysts, you know, GM getting involved in this, replacing workers with industrial-sized printers. Um, so yeah, GM has been a. Ford Motor Company as well, Volkswagen recently. A lot of the automakers um, in an aerospace are really warming up to this conversation. Um, you know, sometimes we get pulled into conversations around the future of work. I think they're super interesting. Um, I would submit, though, you know, there's a lot of, I think, fear around, sometimes around robots in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our printer is, 
no offense to Matthew and the team, is not that intelligent. It moves three ways and does exactly what you tell it to do. But um, for most of the issues are user error. But um, in you know, I think there's a case to be made for uh, maybe streamlining your workflow if you have something that can be done with a 3D printer. Uh, but at the same time, there is a lot of um, need to say constantly be evolving the firmware and, and coding it to designing ways to manage the heat. My phone's alarm's going off. Better manage heat in the electrical box and to think about cooling and, and new boards to, you know, the, the big gap is just not having enough rigor around either the economic impact or um, or the knowledge of the materials. At the end of the day with 3D printing, you know, it's really about the material science. And then there's the design angle, there's the testing angle, um, the certified products like we talked about with standards and education, and then a ton of maintenance of people to run them. So when you start examining <coughs> all those needs that have to happen at concert, I, I would submit to you that Yes, maybe some jobs would be reduced by the opportunity to fabricate on site, um, and particularly those around these long supply chains that are really complicated. But um, I wonder if in the net sum, more jobs are going to be created. The thing I get really excited about with um, the jobs con conversation around 3D printing is you don't need a college degree to run it. We have retired professors that are starting businesses um, after university and, you know, becoming cash flow positive in a year, but we also have really motivated people that didn't even go to high school or who may be illiterate, who are super successful with the same machine. Um, so I think there's a need, there's been a lot of dialogue right now about um, apprenticeship and craftsmanship and, and um, fabrication as well as vocational training. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a platform that can be really empowering um, and because of that, um, may actually provide more jobs. So, you know, at, looking at these tools, currently they're pretty expensive. And I've noticed that, you know, m my community up here in Sonoma County, we've got a few maker studios. We're a pretty affluent community. Um, my, my nephew, who's 14, he's down in LA. He's part of this, uh, it might even be NASA sponsored, but they, he's working on 3D printers and kind of building robots with the elements that he's printing. It's just incredible. And as, uh, as we're going forth, I I've been wondering like, how do we build this technology? How do we, are we deploying it in a way that is being mindful of who has access to it? So that's not a winner take all game. Like I think some innovations have been in the past. So I guess the question is, how can we ensure yeah, more we equitable access to these awesome machines? I think, um, you know, they're, we, need to, we need to get them into the schools. People, I think, again, have that, like, fear sometimes of things they don't know or that might seem too complicated, um, and, and the printer's not. So one way you can abate that is <clears throat> by, you know, partnering with government and foundations and um, groups to see uh, children get exposed to them at a, at a younger age. 
um, and then they they have that knowledge and and they learn those design skills early on, like knowing another language. Mm -hmm. One thing that I was really impressed that your organization does is the uh, the donation, the giving back. So can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing there to kind of increase access to these awesome tools and maybe low resource environments? Sure. So um, as part of our, our social mission, we decided early on that for every 100 units that we delivered, we would give one away to someone trying to make a difference in our community. Um, and we source the, the fellows, the recipients, through uh, odd light video that they submit and then um, people share. And, and it's, the main intent is just to give them an easy way to provide um, some context on what they want to do and also potentially to engage a community around their idea. And, and every now and then we'll see, uh, you know, it can be a, an opportunity for someone to approach them and say, hey, I think what you're doing is awesome and also support them in addition to us. So uh, the very first one went to a group called uh, Tuna Panda, uh, which means we are growing in Swahili in the Kibera Farm in Kenya. And they had a vision to um, 3D print these fittings, uh, if you will, to better, to better match um, different diameter of PVC together. Um, so they could um, distribute clean water further out into the Kibera Farm. Um, so it's really rad, and then they've ended up using the printer over the last few years for a lot of other things, um, mainly now more around teaching entrepreneurship and allowing people to prototype their business plans and to get feedback and share their ideas. But, um, yeah, so that's been really cool. And then um, there's one last year that went to a group called Magic Wheelchair, and they're out of Oregon, and um, I think it was Oregon, yeah. And they have this really cool uh, – vision where they've um, enabled makers to come together and they transform um, typically it's a child I think a child's um, wheelchair into like a race car or Cinderella's carriage or you know whatever the kid is super passionate about I love it. Um, to allow them to like become a hero and it's I think they're featured on Good Morning America it's just a really cool group um, so yeah people you know people have much better ideas than we would have come up with um, to to um, you know, not just for problems, but also empowerment. It's it's been really fun to to watch those guys do rad stuff. But there are a lot of you know groups that pay for a gigabot and procure it in the traditional way. They're also doing um, really amazing work. What's one of the more surprising things you've seen one of your customers print with your machine? Um, we're surprised a lot. Uh, but I, I would say the the time that Dr. Michael DeVoe at um, Texas A&M, that teaching hospital, realized he could take a scan um, of an animal and then make like basically like print a mold to go around it. And then um, he had recognized that you could change the density of the print so it'd be like they more hollow or solid in different parts. Um, so it would hold the animal in the same position every time during radiation therapy and could scatter the particles, if you will, um, to just the right depth to, to treat the skin cancer on this dog that otherwise um, didn't have a, a treatment. It wasn't a good candidate for any other treatment, so it, it was able to be treated with 100% outcome. Wow. Um, and then I just never would think of a print in that way. Yeah. 
I know when you mentioned it earlier, I was kind of scratching my head about how that would work, but I'm glad you explained that. Yeah, it was super rare. J jumping back to the uh, some of the comments you were talking about standards, um, what sort of laws, regulations, or incentives is is the government coming into this industry, imposing, suggesting? Uh, uh, you know, it's, I think it's very industry specific and and location specific. Um, but yeah, we, you know, and then you know, running a factory, there's um, different um, municipal incentives that. You know, everyone's always trying to negotiate with their local county here or state. Um, U.S. Commerce has been really helpful too, because I see this as a way to um, to you know increase the goods that could be exported um, from the U.S. But uh, yeah, it really it really depends on on the vertical um, and the kind of angle you're taking. And, and there are a lot of uh, resources out there. I think people inherently know this this has benefit, and so they're trying to support it in different ways. I might disagree a little bit there because when I talked about this with some folks as I was preparing for the interview, you know, the, the one thing people kept jumping to was printed guns, printed guns. So, we don't do uh, gun sex toys or drug paraphernalia, so I can't comment on that. But is there any, I don't know, policies being put forth to kind of ensure that the, these tools are, are building goods and not weapons? I don't, I don't know how you would. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are people thinking about that dialogue, but the, the printer, at least the, the printer I'm familiar with, ours, um, just takes code <clears throat> that you give to it. My understanding, I, I don't really follow that movement, but my understanding is that um, I think maybe how it was promoted. Uh, and we see this with a lot of outputs from our customers sometimes. Um, is positioned in a way that makes it look like it's a little bit further along than what it is. Uh -huh. um, I don't think you can, I don't know much about how a gun works, but I think there's like a pin in there or a spring. And um, my understanding is that couldn't be 3D printed. I could be wrong, but I really am not qualified to comment on that. But I don't know how you would limit a printer from making anything. It's, it, it just takes code. It, you know, it basically counts off from a zero zero and then turns a screw at a certain rate. Um, and heats up to push plastic through. So I don't know how you could tell it not to do again. So maybe that's <clears throat> coming from rumors and fears, but what's what's some actual things regarding 3D printing that, that are keeping you up at night? Either head scratchers or concerns? Well, I, I run an open source bootstrapped, socially driven startup hardware company. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think uh, definitely everyone in California, I would, I would suspect, and, and most people think we're crazy. Um, but, you know, you, you have to figure out how to <clears throat> balance inventory of when, when every one of your units takes a thousand parts and everything has a different um, lead time, even though we do a lot of in-house fabrication. Um, and then, you know, all the things that come with, you know, running a shop and compliance. Um, and paying taxes and managing payroll and you know not trying not to screw it up and get in the way. Um, so yeah, I think it's more of the business operation. Running a startup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, and you know, and we're growing fast right now. So you know, just trying to to do a thousand things at once and and ask for grace because we're always screwing it up. But um, yeah, in terms of um, the technology, we're, we're really excited because you know our focus since the beginning. Again, you know, we're on the social angle of really the outliers and what we do, making these big affordable three D printers. We intentionally keep the price point as low as we can. Um, it's kind of counter to a lot of business knowledge or business um, practices. And we want to print from garbage and we're doing it. Um, but there's a lot of kinds of trash out there. And I think what's keeping me up right now is <clears throat> doing a lot of traveling and meeting really large brands and learning that in traditional manufacturing, there are metric tons of plastic that gets thrown out that's clean and virgin just in traditional manufacturing processes. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity to really support conversations around circular economies. Yeah. And, um, you know, printing with these plastics, again, it's really the material science that, that holds this industry back sometimes or knowledge around it and having more people that are, um, you know, materials ninjas. But <clears throat> for me, it's, you know, I, I'm going firsthand to these lines and, and these places and seeing examples of things that they're throwing out. Um, sometimes in areas where there's no um, there's no recycling or waste collection, and it's just appalling. Um, and it's hard to get those images out of your head, and and to realize that that's going on everywhere um, is just you know it's frustrating to me, especially in areas where <clears throat> maybe you know say in Puerto Rico, where 85% of goods are imported, so literally an island, yet they're outputting waste with nowhere for it to go in, in traditional manufacturing. Um, so I just think that the system can change and the way we think about economies and local economies can change. And I think um, there's more to be done to in the, in the conversations around economic empowerment. And, and, and that's something that I'm really committed to staying up at night to think about. <clears throat> so for some of my listeners that aren't too familiar with 3D printing, the the actual quote unquote ink that these objects are being printed with is plastic pellets. And so what Samantha's um, talking about, right? Well, so we have two flavors of printing now. There's the one that prints with, it looks like rope, plastic rope, we call it a filament. It can come in a lot of different materials. Someone even made filament out of beer. I don't know why you'd want your house to smell like beer, but hmm. <laughs> uh, there's beer filament now. But, um, and then there's a we have made a second version of our printer that can print with either pellets, which is how a lot of plastic goods actually start, um, or just ground up plastic. And, and the focus for that was, you know, to have a, a conversation around printing from trash. Um, and, and we have found now that, and that new, new printer that takes pellets, um, it is printing with some, some types of shredded plastic waste right now directly. And so to read between the lines, sound like there's some, some research being done to figure out how we can take some of the traditional plastic waste streams or the mm -hmm. recycling bin and turn those into the filament, turn it into the shredded plastics? No, I want to cut out the middleman. You just would print right from garbage. Wow. Um, so yeah, there, there's a version of it. I think there'll always be a need for the filament-based printers, but... Not everyone has access to the to the rope to the filament. Yeah. 
uh, but everyone has access to garbage. Um, so I think <laughs> what we didn't expect and where I was a little bit short-sighted in this vision I've been talking about for seven years is um, <laughs> we just assumed uh, somewhere along the way that magically we would be able to buy these like grinders, if you will, or, or shredders. Um, and uh, we, we also didn't realize that a lot of the materials absorb water really easily, which is, you know, a problem <clears throat> if you're looking at maybe an application during like a disaster response contingency or in, a, in an island like Puerto Rico, um, it could be a little bit more humid. So um, there's a need for what we call a dryer to kind of dry out the plastic um, and, then, and then a way to feed it in. And um, turns out just like there wasn't a large affordable 3D printer back in, in um, uh, 2011, we were really working on this idea, but um, in conceiving it, there's also not um, really great and affordable uh, grinding options. So we have found ourselves accidentally in, in the grinder market and doing a lot of research around how they work and, and developing one that potentially could could work really well with the printer that we have in development right now is a is a full like a, a little ecosystem if you will before we got on the call <laughs> you said that your organization which i realize we haven't even mentioned yet so kudos to you for being humble but i'm gonna drop it now it's r3d um you've got a uh, operations in houston and puerto rico what are you guys doing in austin yep in Austin, what are you guys doing in Puerto Rico? Um, that's where we do applied research. So um, it's a really good test bed for this new printer because they have a lot of water bottles, compliments of the many um, good Samaritans that came during the, <laughs> the hurricane. Um, they have really no true recycling um, and they import 85% of their goods but the people are brilliant. NASA hires more engineers from a school on the west side of the island than anywhere else in the world. Um, yeah, and there's a, a substantial brain drain and a number of the engineers would say they would rather stay on their island or they'll come back later in life or want to start a company, um, but you know, feel like they need to leave to make money. Um, so there's a tremendous opportunity to particularly empower that cohort um, with this platform to see what they would create. Um, so a lot of our, and then, you know, we, we moved down there before the hurricanes, but <laughs> somehow accidentally found ourselves on a lot of disaster response and recovery conversations, um, having a, a big printer and um, that could make stuff when a lot of things were lost. And so, uh, yeah, we do we do a lot of research around education, and um, actually, I've been working with quite a few um, healthcare professionals too to look at uh, near and midterm opportunities. Um, so it's just it's just a really exciting place for us to work with super brilliant people and to start to have dialogue around like the future of three D printing and and inside in society. Yeah, and what a and negatively, but a fortuitous time for you guys to have been there, you know, when the need is so great at this current point, and here you are with this incredible machine and mission-driven organization. 
I just love the story. Yeah, it's interesting. We we talk a lot about Puerto Rico and the hurricanes, but um, the Hurricane Harvey hit first, and that hit our factory in Houston. Um, so it, you know, we we were very sympathetic to what was going on in um, Puerto Rico because our team was experiencing the same loss and stun in in Houston. So. Um, you know, we took a vote and we weren't going to leave because, um, you know, it was just, I think it was twice as hard for the company having been hit by three cat fives in like two months. Wow. So well, you've mentioned a lot of things that are really exciting, but what's, what's at the top of the list? What is most exciting for you? What is most inspiring? hope for you about the 3d printing revolution yeah i think i think printing from trash you know it's, it's like we're laser focused on that um specifically water bottles um but then you know the the accidental finding and and this exploration over the last seven years has been um and horrific finding is seeing all the ways that's clean inversion it's just part of they call it trim sometimes um, just part of like manufacturing. Um, so to think that you possibly could be working on technology to divert plastic from ever getting to the landfill, uh, you know, maybe trying to use something that is in a landfill is, is really exciting for us. Yeah, the the whole idea of circular economies I think is so needed now as we're seeing Mother Earth getting angrier and angrier at us in all corners of the world in all different ways. So how can we be more responsible stewards of our supply chains, our materials, our externalities? Yeah, there's, and there's a lot of different garbage out there and, um, you know, everyone I think just need and vision for is different. So it's like an endless conversation. And just the whole concept of how we how do we turn our waste streams into value streams is really mm -hmm. exciting when we go back to the conversation about access and equity if we can reduce the the cost of the supply chain to our garbage then we're really reducing barriers so for those who have been inspired provoked by your words today where where can they begin learning more about 3d printing Sure. So, um, you know, I, I would say we live in, particularly if you're based in the States, more and more um, libraries are offering 3D printers. So <laughs> it makes the, the barrier to entry a lot lower now. But, um, you know, there are a lot of great resources online, but um, there's a good chance if you do a search that your local library or, or school has a printer, or they're offering a class. Um, also, a lot of... Um, Robotics students now um, use 3D printers as part of their robotics competitions and making that the parts that they need. So um, <laughs> another resource is to reach out to the local robotics team, um, who's always looking, <laughs> they're looking for volunteers themselves. So um, there are ways that you, know, you can get started um, that are more locally based. If you're interested in learning about Re3D's adventures, printing from plastic waste or with the filament-based printer that, that we've been selling now for a while. Um, uh, we try to be active and <laughs> on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, um, LinkedIn, but we have a website as well, re3d.org, re3d.org. 
Um, and if you go to recruity.org forward slash careers, we are hiring um, a lot, for a lot of uh, new teammates right now, um, either in our Austin, Houston, or um, Puerto Rican offices. We'd love to you know, hear what you've 3D printed and what your vision would be for the company. We are super short a machinist, so <laughs> if you have a background in machining and want to live in um, Houston, Texas, near NASA Johnson Space Center, um, please don't hesitate to, <laughs> to raise your hand. Um, and you know we're we're starting to build out um, more of an intern program as well. So um, there's lots of ways to engage, but but we're by no means the only people working and 3D printing. And you know if you have any questions and we can't answer them, we're happy to direct you to someone um, that might be able to. All right, Smith. I I'm so I'm touched by the approach that this is a pretty industrial focused organization and yet you come to it with such heart and such a social awareness so i really want to thank you for the work you're doing um I invite you to give any last words suggestions or calls to action before we let you go back to your important work <laughs> um well well thanks for having me and, and yeah I, I look forward to maybe engaging with some of the listeners online either through our the social media platforms or um if they want to shoot us an email or um or uh, suggest to give feedback on, on how we can um, better do, uh, you know, our mission and execute it. Everyone has great ideas, so please don't hold back. Um, and uh, if you want to go to our website, um, it's on the homepage. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, that's how you'll hear about uh, some of the major happenings within the company. Um, to follow, uh, follow our, our successes and lessons learned. <laughs> There's plenty, and. Um, and that's how usually how we release when uh, the Giga Prize is taking place. If you're interested in applying um, to receive a 3D printer um, for free, yes, go get, go apply. Get your community an awesome tool to help entrepreneurs, to help socialpreneurs. Samantha, thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. The world is changing rapidly in scary ways and in incredible ways. And the tools like Samantha and her colleagues are building are enabling communities and individuals to be resilient and resourceful in ways only imaginable by the likes of Star Trek. So I'd encourage you to go to your local library, see if they've got one of these machines in the back, check out the makerspaces, look to your local colleges and JCs and see the machines that they have try to gain access, and begin learning how to make toys, trinkets, tools, and solutions, and be part of the Maker Revolution. A big thanks to my buddy Jay Lately for providing the music and the sponsorship of the Onward podcast. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist out of Oakland who dedicates his time to enriching the lives of youth in Oakland and around the states through his music, through his words, and through his poetry. Interested in sponsoring the podcast yourself? Get at me, dweinsveg at gmail.com. That's D-W-E-I-N-Z-V-E-G. And last but certainly not least, a huge thanks to all my listeners, all my followers, and all my supporters. Make sure to subscribe to Onward at soundcloud.com backslash onward. Find us at the iTunes podcast store or Anchor FM. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review 
a little words, a few stars go a long way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Onward. Until next time, onward and upward.